From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 106, and today I'm joined by Danny Kind, an actress you probably know from shows like Working Moms or Winona Earp. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. All right, so we're sitting down to watch Raging Bull. I'm Jeremy, and I've seen this film, but not for quite a while. I'm Danny Kind, and I have not seen this film ever. And what made you pick it? Just like one of those iconic films, everyone's like, you have to see The Graduate. You have to see Raging Bull. It's like one of those films that I was like, always meant to see, but never, you know, you sit down for Netflix. It's not like you're like, I'm going to crush yeah. The Graduate tonight. And it's not like a super long movie, but it's not super short. I think it's like two hours and change, two and like 20, something like that. Yeah. So it's also one of those ones where I'm the same way where if I sit down at night and I'm like, oh, I really needed to see this movie. It's like... Two hours and five minutes. Don't have what's that. A hun- what's an hour 40? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so now, does, is this the kind of movie that it's like, oh, I need to see it to get it over with and, ch- and strike it off? Or are you legitimately excited to see it? I'm super excited to see it. There's one shot. I shot my first short film this year, directed it. And there is one shot that I found a clip of uh, in the ring. And I was like, that shot is blowing my mind. And so... Just for the way it's shot, I'm excited to see it. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. I mean, it's Chris Essie doing, you know, this big epic boxing movie in black and white, and it's just gorgeous. So what do you know about the movie? I've only, like, read an old, like, 1988 review by Ebert. Like, that's it. I don't really know much about it. I know that he's a boxer. I know he beats the shit out of his wife. Yeah, classic boxer story. Classic. <laughs> classic. And isn't she, like, super f- fucking young? Like, he, she's... Yeah, it's... it's, it's a, who is it? It's, um... I want to say it's Rebecca De Mornay. That's not right. It's... No, it's, um... Oh, God. We'll look it up later. Yeah. I can't remember. I also don't want to look, look it up because I haven't seen it in a while. And I, <laughs> I want to be like, oh, right, it's her. It's her. So those yelling at us, the name, congratulations for being smarter than us in the moment. <laughs> um, it, but what's the age difference in the movie? It, it's it's Kathy Morality, I want to say. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah right. I got it right. My brain, right. my brain clicked in. Um, I want to she say plays it's, it's like, significant. Like early teens or something, right? I don't know. I don't know, what I don't he, know if it's that big of a difference, but it's definitely not. They're not contemporaries. Right. I don't, you know. So. I'm just going to beat up this young girl. As you do. I'm like, how triggering is this movie going to be? <laughs> oh, we'll see. We'll find out. <laughs> For this, like, current climate and everything that's going on. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that conversation comes up quite a bit on the podcast about... I bet. Um, those kind of things, because movies... And it's interesting, because it's also like, you know, can you judge a movie based on the standards of when it was originally made? 
or do you have to judge it based on the standards of today? And and is there can you separate the two or not? And sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't. It depends on the situation. Sometimes you're like, yeah. oh, that was, like we I I haven't done this on the podcast, but I just um, I did another podcast called uh, the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Okay, and we just I picked Molly Maxwell, and I don't know if you've seen that. I it's have a Canadian not seen movie, it. and it's basically about um, a, a student and their teacher and that a relationship. Mm-hmm. So you know, age difference, not a huge age difference, um, but also a bit more about the idea of like. Power yeah, dynamic. Power dynamic. And, yeah. And I think that's where, and we, and we had a huge conversation about that. And so for me, it's really about that. It's like, because I think you could, you could argue there's some 18 year olds out there that are more mature than a lot of 40 year olds. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah. You know, so it's really, it comes down to, I don't have a huge issue with age range as long as they're at the same emotional and level and, and the power dynamic is equal. Yeah. Then I think it's. You can argue that age is irrelevant. Yeah. Um, but it's when, yeah, when someone's clearly in a, in a position of manipulation, that's where I get uncomfortable. Yeah. And and it's like, do these older movies hold up to now? And, like, what does it matter? Like, does that make that a good movie if it holds up or doesn't hold up? Or, yeah. you know, does it, is it so jarring because it's what I feel like I think this movie is like about and what it is about. I don't, I don't know if that's going to be a huge difference or not, but I, from what I've read, I am like an older man who beats the shit out of a young woman. Who's a boxer who's dealing with his own like masculinity issues. Sounds pretty current to me. Yep. Yeah. And it's also, it's interesting too, because there are some movies that I go back and I rewatch And it's just like, ooh, that's misogynistic or sexist or racist uh, just because it's that. But then there's some where you're like, well, it has those elements, but the movie's aware of it and it's authentic. And yeah. it's like, and I buy it, like, that's how that would be. Yeah. And the movie's not necessarily going, hey, isn't this cool or isn't this funny that we're making fun of this kind of thing? It's just going, no, this is, and I think that's when the movies still hold up, when you get the authenticity, whether it makes you feel uncomfortable or not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I just watched The Color Purple. This is so maybe off topic, but I just watched The Color Purple. And I was like, I don't understand how there's like brutal, brutal, racist, violent scenes in that movie with this like light musical score over top. I was like, how is that? It's Spielberg. A style, though. It blew my mind. I was like, how does he do that? How does he even know to pair those two things together? And did it work for you? Yeah. For some reason, I was like so disturbed but able to watch it because of the musical. I think it's a spoonful of sugar. Yeah. Is like if you drink... I think maybe that's probably... I haven't watched The Color Purple in a long time, so I'd have to re It was the first time it. I saw it, and I was just like, what is happening? Yeah, <laughs> but it's also happening? one of those things where when you, I think when you watch it, you don't immediately realize it's a Spielberg movie because it doesn't necessarily fit. Yep. Um, so good. Yeah, well, he knows what he's doing. Um, and how, though? Like, how do these guys know what they're doing? So this... how Like, how far in his career was this Color movie? Color Purple? No, was the one was is Raging Bull. Oh, Raging Bull is... Is it early on? No, it's about... I mean, he's still making... He's been making movies for almost 50 years. You know, his first movie was 1968, so he's literally oh, okay. 50 years in. So this was like... So Raging Bull... made this in the 80s. Is, I want to say it's either late 80s or... or I'm going to look up the... I've already seen the movie, so I can I can go to the internet. But we'll keep... Uh, it's in 1980. Oh, so it's... Um, so he'd been doing it's it. It's 12 years in. Okay. Um, 
12 years in and number of movies. I mean, I think it's his, I want to say it's his sixth or seventh movie. I can look that up though. Because I have the internet. <laughs> I did, I read that the movie got pushed. Like, that him and De Niro wanted to do it. And then they gave the idea to the guy who wrote Taxi Driver. Yeah. Taxi. To Paul Schrader? Yes. And then it kept getting pushed. And then it got pushed because Scorsese had a drug problem. Yeah. That, so this must have then, because of, because of you're bringing that up, um, we did the, this on the podcast as well, um, a movie called uh, New York, New York. Okay. Which is... I haven't seen it. It's not really a musical, but it's kind of a musical. That they did, right? They did together, and that's... in the movie... I mean, I think he was already experimenting or doing drugs on a regular basis, casually, or for inspiration or whatever. Yeah. But that movie came out and was a bomb. Really? Uh, and he... and. And that really, really accelerated his issues with drugs. Oh, that's where he oh. ended up in rehab and having challenges. There's a gap in his filmography around there. Yeah. So this is. Um, so is this his next movie out after that? No, this is his, he did a technically he did the documentary The Last Waltz after New York, New York. So it was Taxi Driver in New York, New York. Um, two documentaries, Jesus. which means which he was probably working on off and on for years. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of fiction, narrative fiction, uh, it was New York, New York, and then like a three-year gap, and then Raging Bull. So he had that major bomb of a movie and then came back with this. Yeah. Which is a pretty... It's pretty badass. It's pretty amazing <laughs> comeback. Yeah, but that, but it's, it's one like, of those things, too, where it's like, you know, we have the, uh, you know, the, the beauty of hindsight and foresight to go, oh, he bounced back. But I can't imagine what he was going through at the time. Yeah. Who knows? And also he's coming back and saying, I want to make a two and a half hour boxing picture in black and white after my last movie was a disaster. Yeah. And do all these crazy shots and like. Yeah. yeah. But at least by that point, he'd done Taxi Driver. He'd done Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. You know, so this is, yeah. What number is this? This is um, one, two, three, four, five, six. This is a seventh film feature, a narrative feature, not counting documentary work. So crazy. Um, yeah, so he's so he's earned his stripes. He's done some stuff. He's got the nice thing about Scorsese is by this point, at least, if nothing else, he's definitely um, uh, established. He's he's got a voice mm-hmm. and, and and a vision. So mm-hmm. uh, I think people are still willing to take risks on him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to remember the con- the context of his career is definitely he was coming out of a, a dark place. Pretty cool that this is what he made out of that. Yeah. All right, should we dive into it? Yes, please. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, so we just finished. And? I liked it. I liked it a lot. The shots were as exciting as I hoped they would be. But it's not what I thought it was going to be. No? No. No. Cause it was, is it because we focused a lot on like the whole abusive stuff. Which Did wasn't think bad at be... all. I mean, abusive. <laughs> <laughs> it was gory and abusive, but I was just like holding my breath the whole time. Where It's I was really just... that one scene, right? Yeah. Where he goes after her and then he goes after Joe Pesci. But she holds her own. Like, she's not scared of him. No. She's not a victim. And she, and she, I mean, she forgives him that first time, but then eventually she does walk away from him. Yeah. She, but she's smart. She waits for the right time. Yeah. Not what I expected. 
Yeah. And like the, especially because of the way you first see her, I was just like, oh fuck, here we go. And then her voice is so low, and yeah. then she's like, she's got snark, like she's snarky, and like, I don't know, she's just like strong and tough and great. Yeah. There's, I read uh, a story somewhere at one point where when um, Jake LaMotta watched the film for the first time, it was the first time he realized what a piece of shit he was. Wow. By watching the movie. And he asked her, he says, was I really that bad? And she said, no, you were worse. They're still together? In real no, life? no, 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 no. Oh, she but, was. But they have kids together. I'm sure they right. have some kind of a relationship. Wow. But uh, it's, it's fascinating how it took him watching, you know, someone else portraying him. But it's also fascinating to know that it's like they didn't even go as far as, and that, you know, De Niro tapped into something that was at least on the curve that the wife was like, yeah, no, you were worse than that. Yeah. And I mean, they don't portray him to be like the most brilliantly intelligent man. So they kind of hit the nail on the head with that one. If he's asking that question in real life. Yeah. Come on, dude. Yeah, well, you get, you get hit that many times in the head and, and some things. Uh, I mean, first of all, to be a boxer, I think you got to have some kind of screw loose potentially anyway to to want because it's such a, I mean, it's a, it's a violent sport, but it's also just, I don't know. There's something very specific about boxing where I can get other athletes and just adrenaline and, you know, co- competitiveness and all that kind of stuff. But boxing mm-hmm. is literally like this aggression. Yeah. Where you're just pounding the fuck out of another human being. Yeah. And at the end you hug and you're friends. But it's like you've got to channel up this. All the demons. Yeah. Yeah. Bizarre. So weird. Some of the cuts were so weird. I felt like the pace of the movie, were comparative to a movie now, I feel like movies now, you're just like spoon-fed, spoon-fed. But that movie, I felt like they were just like, many times I was like, whoa, what's going on? Like yeah. I felt like the movie was just like, hurry up, catch up. Just like get on board. Yeah, I was like, he's a, he's in a lounge. He's like a comedian now. Like, and he's marrying her. Like I thought, and they yeah. would even asked. Like I thought he was married. And it's like, well, they just jumped over. Him they just jumped her. over it because it's obvious. It out. Yeah, they didn't spell it out for everybody. But today they would spell it the fuck out. Yeah. Oh, we need a shot of her leaving, or we need a shot of you know him telling her that he's met someone else, yeah. or her discovering that he was cheating on her. And the movie's just like, no, you're smarter. Yeah. You can, you, can, you can you can put the pieces together. Yeah. Yeah, but even just that first cut, uh, you were, I think you it shocked you too when it goes from him losing the the title after he'd had it uh, to him, you know, sixty pounds overweight, whatever, however much weight De Niro gains to play the older Jake. Yeah, a hard cut to that. Yeah. A lot of jarring shots like that. That blood that like them following that rope for so long and then just like. I like that a lot about the film, that they would, like, have the audio of what was going on over top of some kind of visual that they just held on like that. Yeah, Scorsese said that when he first went to a boxing ring just for, like, research, that the two images that stuck out with him was uh, blood on the ropes and then then the bloody sponges. I love that he respects his own artistic opinion enough to be like it's worthy those things are worthy enough to make sense in my movie whether people get them or not you know it's like i just think that's a really bold uh voice to have for your own work yeah yeah and they were using like hershey's chocolate 
syrup for the blood and stuff too, just to make it really dark and rich. That's yeah. cool. Well, the reason they went with black and white wasn't even necessarily an artistic reason. I mean, ultimately, I think it, it, it lends itself to that, but it was mostly just to separate itself from Rocky, which had come out four years earlier. I think it was 76. Mm. And so they wanted to make sure it was just different. I mean, it's pretty different anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, it's a very, very different film. But that's a smart move. Yeah. I think that's very smart. Well, and it's not like you, you can make black and white films in this period. People, It didn't really shock people as much as now it feels like such an artistic choice. Yeah. You know? But then it's like, I don't know, like Greta Gerwig made a that film in black and white. Francis Ha, yeah. Oh, fr- yeah. And, it's, and it makes me feel like irritated for some reason. It's like, I, it's just, it's really, ch- remember how we were watching and I was like, nobody in this film feels like they're pushing to be in that era. They just feel like they exist in that era. Whereas like now when you make a period piece, it's like, oh, you're doing that thing where you're, you know, it's like. You're trying. Yeah. I felt like that with her, with Francis Ha. I felt like, I was like, you're, I, yeah. You're trying too hard. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I have I to rewatch it to think about it that way. Yeah, it's true. It's like, I'm trying to think of, like, the big recent black and white film, which I still haven't seen, actually, was The Artist. Was that one a couple of years I ago? I haven't seen it either. Yeah. It was a silent, was, I think it was a silent film, yeah. I believe, it won the and best won. picture. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, not, but I think that was initially, from what I remember, is the, uh, was to separate itself from that. Um, and you were asking, at the very end, this kind of weird, obscure quote comes up. Yeah, what is that? So it's, um, the reason why the quote is there is because, so as we, we were talking about before, uh, I think, I don't, I don't, can't remember what we were talking about on here, or you and I were just chatting about Scorsese's drug problem, and mm-hmm. I think we talked about that in the, in the intro, yes? <laughs> it's been so long! Anyone? <laughs> the movie's so long. Anyway, uh, so after New York, New York comes out, Scorsese, um, uh, it, the movie does not do well. He his drug problem kicks in overdrive, and he ends up just you know feeling like he's over, he's done, and so um, De Niro spends years convincing him to make this movie as like to bring him back in because they're you know great friends at that point, and just really want and so it's kind of you know um, De Niro is the driving force behind making him make this movie and getting him going and so to the point where we when he finally gets Scorsese to sign on and to, to agree to do it he takes so long like he just he's meticulous in every little detail and every little thing because he he at that point I think he was convinced it was going to be his last movie that it was there no one's ever going to give him a shot again if he yeah. doesn't make something great so um he that person he thanks was his film professor who helped him get his first movie made. And so, because he saw this movie as kind of like a rebirth. Oh. And his chance to start over again. So it's fascinating because um, kind of around this time period, a little bit earlier, yeah, I mean, around the same time period, Steven Spielberg also made this movie that was kind of a bomb. You know, that was just not a great movie. It was a big, giant failure. And... And then his next movie out of the gate, I believe, is Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then, and so then, which you, did okay, yeah, but that's what I, I mean. Yes, but then you've got a similar, you've got this thing where it's like you've got Scorsese's making New York, New York, which isn't a terrible movie. We did this, I did it with them um, um, on the podcast, and so you can listen to that episode and uh, with Chris Booth, and it's not a terrible film. It's just not a great film. Yeah. 
But it's really fascinating to see how that, you know, kind of is almost in a way you have to ask, if it wasn't for New York, New York, would we have Raging Bull? Yeah. You know? There's so many quotes that go around the internet that, like, if if so-and-so would have given up at this age, who is it? Maya Angelou? Mm. If she would have if she would have stopped at age whatever, she would have only been known as a prostitute. Mm-hmm. But now she's known as, you know, the most prolific. It, it, it went through, like, all of these different people. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. It falls when you in think, line. When you think about your own life and that kind of stuff, if you hadn't met this person this time, would you have... You know, I constantly think about just little things. Right? Look at my kids. I mean, you have kids. I had kids, yeah. You look at them and it's like... Just you think of all the different things that could have happened in your life to stop you from meeting the person that you had the kids with, mm-hmm. or just everything. You're like, wow, what a fickle thing everything is. Totally, it all is, right? It's all just random. Yeah, <laughs> one left turn versus a right turn, and everything is. Yeah, yeah, and you can kill yourself in the what ifs. Yeah, you know. Yep. So what else? What else do you? Uh, Explain that shot to me. Oh, the shot. What's that shot? So Danny um, was mentioning earlier about that she'd seen one shot in this movie, the one, the, the Sugar Ray fight, where it's uh, it's commonly known as a vertigo shot because um, it's Albert Hitchcock did it in the film Vertigo. And I think oh, that's, okay. That's where they get its name. Uh, but what, what it is essentially is... Um, I'm trying to describe what it looks like so the viewers can get a sense of those. It's like a push and pull at the same yeah, time. Yeah, and that's literally what it is. What's basically happening is the um, the subject, so the, the object in the foreground, whether it's a person or a thing, is staying exactly where it is, but you're getting a change in the depth of field, and so the background's getting longer or shorter, and you're feeling like it's stretching out. Mm-hmm. But the person's staying exactly where they are. And how you get that, it's a very technical thing. How you get that is by having the camera on a, using a zoom lens and a dolly. And you either zoom in while you're tracking out or you track oh. in while you're zooming in. Oh. So you've got two things are going at once. So what's, but you've got a very specific thing is you got to get the speed right and you got to get the timing of the zoom right. So that way the subject in the camera stays in the exact same size. And then what's happening is you're changing the depth of field in the background and foreground so that it the zoom creates this effect with the dolly at the same time where the person looks exactly the same, but you're stretching or, or contrasting everything else. And it gives you this, this claustrophobic feel yeah. or this feel of like something going on in the character's head. Yeah. So how did, is that how Hitchcock used it? Yeah. Like a cerebral thing? Yeah, I think he did it with, um, it was more, it was movie Vertigo, so it was more about the idea of uh, the character had Vertigo, which is when you, it's like an optic thing in your eye, right? Mm-hmm. Where you, I think it's when you look down at, at heights or something like that, you can't, your brain just, you go fuzzy or you go out of focus. And so he did it with stuff like that. That is for the movie. so, is there anybody else that's, that uses oh, that? Oh, the, sh- has- the shot skin, I've tried it once or twice. I, I, I actually haven't used it because I'm like, uh, it's one of those things, but when, when you do it, it's very jarring. And so you've got to use it very sparingly. Yeah. You know, it's not the kind of thing you can just throw into every <laughs> thing. But it's been done a number of times. There's lots, I mean, sure, you could Google movies that use vertigo shots. There's a really good one in uh, Road to Perdition, Sam Mendes' film. Okay. With Tom Hanks. What is it? Oh, my backpack went over. <laughs> if you're wondering what that weird noise was. Um, so he does a great shot with Jude Law that introduces Jude Law's character 
And it's a really long tracking shot that's a vertigo shot. That's cool. Yeah, there's a lot of great ones. But when it's used, it does kind of pull you out of the movie a little bit. So you just got to use it in the right time and place. Right. And it's usually done to accelerate some kind of emotion in a character where they're just staring at something. And there's something going on inside their head. Mm -hmm. But obviously you can't show that or do this. You do do a shot like that and it lets the audience know that it's like, oh, fuck. Something Something just changed. That just reminded me of the shot that they did a compilation of different shots of like his POV watching his wife say goodbye to that older gentleman at the door. Yeah. But it was like not slowed down enough where you're just a little like, bit though. Okay. But like just slowed down enough where it was like you could, I could really feel like I was inside of his head being like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Adding it all up. Yeah. It felt fast and slow at the same time. Because it's really... I mean, here's... And, and here's the difference between, you know, not just Scorsese, but, like, great filmmakers and okay filmmakers. Is, like, you get a real strong sense of point of view mm-hmm. in this movie. And, you, and you're inside Jake's head at that point. Whether or not... And that's what's amazing about it. Like, this is a guy who is a fucking maniac. You know, who doesn't has tr- massive trust issues, super insecure. Mm-hmm. You know, but you you shoot scenes like that where you're right inside of his head and you're seeing things from his point of view, and you kind of get it. You see how it could make sense, how it could all add up. Yeah, yeah, and they, so and what a trick that is to be able to get. I mean, also you've got De Niro who somehow is so charismatic that he gets away with all the stuff that Jake does, and you don't necessarily hate him. You're fascinated by him. Yeah. I did think several times during the movie, was it a cultural or like a time period thing where people just like ate a lot of shit from other people? Like no one would put up with that today. I'm sure people do. But you know what I mean? Like in this day and age where you live in an immediacy where we're just like, we break up with people and we go on Tinder and we find a new person and like... Then watching that, I'm just like, everybody is eating shit from this guy. Well, I wonder, part of it's probably a religious thing too, right? They're all Catholic. Totally. So they're not, yeah. you don't divorce, or you're not culture, supposed to. It's the time, it's, yeah. It's like, because the, the, movie, the movie's made in the 80s, but it takes place in the 40s. Yeah. Primarily, right? So there's also that. It's like, divorce is not really a thing, especially if you're Catholic. Yeah. You know, so there's that. And also, um, you know, as shitty as it is to say, it's just, that's, that's the way their parents were. And that's yeah. the way there. So it's just like, they, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a cultural thing where, what do you expect? Yeah. Unfortunately, I think. Yeah. Those women, like how many lines do you think those women had in the movie? Which women? Just in general? The two, the two wives of the brothers. No, oh, I mean, Kathy Moriarty's got a pretty big part, but. But barely speaks. Yeah. She barely, there's a lot of shots of her, but like in terms of a big part, she doesn't have like much of a character or a speaking role. No. And even like that, I wanted you to talk about this because I enjoyed just experiencing with you that scene when he invites her over to his apartment. Oh my God. No game. So awkward. So awkward. It's so fucking awkward. And those shots are so, um intrusive i don't know they're so tight on them it mean it was like uncomfortable yeah on top but of him just being uncomfortable but again that's like you know anyway the way i look at it is like i look at it like scorsese knows he's aware of how awkward this is yeah. supposed to be and so he gets you right in there yeah and he doesn't let you out of it and so it's the movie's aware yeah that it's it's not like they're celebrating oh look at this guy 
sweet talk this 15 year old. 15 years old, but still had the whereabouts to just like ride it out. Like, I liked that she didn't play the character really giggly. Like, she doesn't smile very much. I was like counting how many times she smiled in the movie, and it wasn't a lot. And, and she, during that scene where he's like, they're at his dad's house too. Like, so awkward. Isn't it his place? He walks in and he's like, Daddy! Oh! Daddy! I couldn't figure out who he, who, he was, who he was calling for. I thought he was calling for his brother. He said his dad bought the building. Oh. And he was... He takes her to her, his dad's, dad's house. Dick. What does he offer her when they sit down? He, he has water, but he... Water? Off, but he offers her this thing in this jar. It's dark. You can't really see what it is. And she's like, no, I didn't know if it was candy. Oh, yeah, I didn't know what it was either. There was no insert shot of it. That's why. Yeah. But it also wasn't clear. It didn't look like liquid. I'm like, oh, is he trying to get her drunk? Is he offering her like... But no, but it looked like... I want to think it was candy. Or a part some of kind me of for sweet. a hot minute was like, is that chewing tobacco? There was like a minute where I was like, what? But yeah, it's so awkward. Zero game. Zero game. But it's also, I mean, talk about what a performance in terms from, from De Niro, just for that kind of thing. Because he's a guy with charisma for days. Maybe. Is he in real life? Well, I don't know, but he can play that. Like, if you look at him in other movies of this era, you look at him in something like Mean Streets or... I mean, even just Mean Streets, he's playing the most charming, charismatic guy in the world. Yeah, which is, I think, so hard to do. Because I don't think anybody naturally, people that are charming, don't know how to, like, necessarily, like, dial it up to be super charming. Yeah, but to pull it back is really interesting. Yeah. And even we were talking about at the very end when he's running that monologue, Mm -hmm. like, how good he is at that bad acting. It was so uncomfortable watching that. (laughs) <laughs> I was so uncomfortable. I was just like, ugh. Well, because like you, you observed, you said something about how you can see him forgetting his line or remembering his lines. Yeah. That's what it looks like to me. It looks like he's like, and then, you know, when you watch actors in auditions and they're like, you're watching them see their page in their head. That's what it looked like. He, that was He was great at that, but it yeah. was like painful to watch. And what would be, so if you, how would you approach a scene like that? Would you just barely memorize it? So you actually had to try to recollect it? No, I would it? prep the fuck out of it, I think. And just know where those moments would be? No, I think I would prep the fuck out of it and then and then um, not try to be a bad actor. Like, I would, I would, I don't know. It depends. It depends on what the scene beforehand would be. But I don't think I would play the scene. I would have to find another way in, I think. Yeah. Because it would be too on the nose then. People would be like, we got it. She's doing this, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, his was like, is he, is, is he prepping a speech or is he, like, it wasn't exactly, nothing, nothing was spelled out in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's weird, like, really, it's like his goal in the movie is to become the champ. And then what I love is that the movie, that's not the end of the movie. You know, it's not Rocky. It doesn't end when he finally yeah. wins that championship. Yeah. And then even defends it the second time after, after that horrible, you know, because he becomes a champ. Then he had. Then there's that horrible scene between him and Pesci and Moriarty, and you know. Then his brother's out of his life, mm-hmm. um, and then she takes him back for a, a year or two, anyway. It seems, uh, and then he he wins again, uh, and then he loses to Sugar Ray for the third time. He he finally, and then he's done, you know. And so the movie, and that's what makes this movie so different from Rocky too, is that it's like you know. Rocky would just end there. It would end at the peak. Mm-hmm. Where this movie goes, no, there's a life after that. Like, what's... They're fascinated just in the Jake LaMotta story. 
too. And it's like, what happens to a guy like this when he's got everything he ever thought he wanted? Mm-hmm. You know? I'd be interested to know how many drafts they went through to figure out that second half of the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's all based on his life, too, right? So it's not like they're... they're but it's like, how how much jail do you put in? How little jail? Yeah. How much of the, like, nightclub shit? How it's like... I wonder what... How many drafts they went through for all that. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And that jail... There was, like, a couple scenes where I was like... Today... You would never see an actor not in their light on a shot. Yeah. There's a scene where, like, him and Pesci are sitting. It's early on where they're sitting at the table, and he's clearly in Pesci's light. And every time he moves out, Pesci gets lit in the scene. But it's they kept that shot. They used that shot of him being, like, in and out of light. And that scene in the jail where he is, like, punching, 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 and then goes and falls down. We talked about it during the movie. Yeah, and did you see his shoulder? Just his shoulder. I was like, is this a stylized shot? Or like, what is this? There's a couple others. Also, when when he goes to Kathy Moriarty at the schoolyard through the fence, where it's like, the fence... It's right across his eye. Yeah. I thought so, too. You'd never be like, like, oh, just have him put him on an apple box or something, just get him a little bit up or have him a little bit lower, or or shift the camera down so we get more of his eye. Yeah. Yeah, or, and there's another, even that last shot at the very end, when he's doing the monologue... And he's looking down, like if he just took one or two steps to the left, he'd be in the mirror better. Yeah. And what I and there's something just and here's the thing, it's like Scorsese's a precise enough filmmaker uh-huh. that it's the kind of thing where you look at it and go, Well, this is clearly a choice. You've clearly decided to just let to just focus on performance in this scene. Yeah. And that, and that schoolyard scene in particular was improvised. So you can understand it's it like those are probably just the best moments. Was it really? Well, there's not much going on in it. It's just awkwardness, right? I wonder how much... He basically is like, do you like my car? It's a good car. You want to go for a ride? Like, that's the scene. Shakes her finger, though? Yeah, that's cute. Sweet. Sweet. But so I think Charming. for an example like that, that was probably just the only take he did those things, and they're like... Yeah. So yeah. I, I can only imagine that it was the kind of thing that he's just like... He wanted just to get his authentic performance from De Niro, especially when you look at the scenes that it's in. Uh, so they just wanted to set up the camera and let it go. Yeah. And they're going for performance first. So it's like that scene when he's beating the fuck out of his own hands in the jail cell and then sits down. Like, jeez. Yeah. You're not going to get better than that. Especially if you're listening to the way he's emoting. Because even if you... They, I'm sure they did other takes where he landed in the light. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But it probably wasn't the right performance or it just didn't go as far. And also, he's, like you were saying earlier, just he's relying on the audio as much. So you good. Know? And I think it's such a strong choice. Is the other scene, is the scene where he goes like, is one where it's like, hit me? Is that the scene too where he's saying, hit me in the face? It ends with that, yeah. Yeah, yeah that scene was not improvised, but they were doing it for real. Like, yeah. They were actually punching each other. Just them talking sets the whole tone of their relationship too. They're like, so delightful. The way that, yeah. Can we talk about Joe Pesci? Just the way he listens is like, I just... Well, just the way he's him. looking, and that scene in particular too, like Joe Pesci spends so much of the earlier parts of the movie just kind of looking down and he can't even look Jake in the eye. Yeah. Like he's just so the smaller little brother insecure. It's great. And then he finally, you know, throughout the course of the movie gets his own footing. Yeah. He broke, uh, De Niro broke one of his ribs. Oh, really? During like, you know, when he's wearing those mats. He actually broke one of his ribs during the shooting of the movie. Really? De Niro trained. He trained with Jake LaMotta. They said that over the course of shooting, 
by the end of it in, in training that Jake that De Niro probably went a thousand rounds in the ring. Holy with, shit! With Lamada, and also he they he enrolled in three professional fights and he won two of them. Wow! And broke Pesci's rib. Yeah, and they, and Lamada said he's like he could be a boxer if he wanted to. Like by the end of it, he was good enough that they thought that's so impressive. Pretty amazing, but it's also so you kind of had to do that. There were I'm going to say this. There were several like hits where the sounds like I know they amped up all the sounds, which I thought was so great and jarring. But there was like hits where it like didn't match for me. Where I was like, I don't think you just got hit there, but your head's uh-huh. snapping back. Like the way that it was shot was kind of, like, there was a lot of things in this movie were kind of slapsticky to mm. me, where I thought, like, I was talking to you earlier about how, like, a really violent scene from The Color Purple, and then this, like, beautiful, uplifting, like, um, musical score over top, I felt like this was, like, a little... Yeah, I think it's it's part of it is to take away from the violence ever yeah, so like slowly. It. Because, and that's another reason why he wanted, I think Scorsese liked the black and white and using the... Bl- because the the blood is less gory mm-hmm. if it's not this like hyper red, mm-hmm. you know. And the way that it like squirts, where it, like oh, that so shot where it hits cool. the, the, all the judges or whoever, that front row of people. That was a great shot. Yeah, and that shot's been echoed in so many things, um, <laughs> it's where it's so just like cutting good. to like other people and getting hit with the blood. Tarantino. Tarantino's like done it. Every film. Uh, they just did it in The Favorite. There's a shot in The Favorite yeah. that does that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that movie beautiful? Yeah, that's a great movie. Oh my God, yeah. I love that movie. So it's just, it's just kind of a thing that's... But and I don't know if it necessarily originates here. I think Scorsese might actually be ripping off a Kurosawa beat. But um, I wouldn't also be surprised if this was one of the bigger inspirations for that shot that people don't even realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so good. I, w- I was really, because I haven't watched it probably in maybe 10 years, maybe more. Um, and I was just kind of, because I know it's a movie that's, I can't remember the running time, but it's it's over two hours. It's like, it's, not, it's like two and a half almost. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of surprised by how I was just along for the journey and I wasn't really, it didn't, it didn't lag for me in any spot. It's just every scene, and I think part of it is that performance is every, everyone, like, all three of the main leads, they're all just so fucking captivating and interesting. Yeah. Um, but there's enough of a story going along, but it's not like, you know, a lot of modern movies where, here's the goal, here's the stakes in every scene. You know, every scene has all the things scenes need. They have conflict and they have all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. But they really, you know, they, they linger and they take their time. I mean, also, I didn't know who half the characters were. Like, there were so many men that came in that I was like, I don't know, who's that guy? All I need to know is he's an important dude that has money. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. They didn't over-explain. Didn't over-explain anything. And it was okay. And I still was, like, so focused on those three main performers. They were so good. Yeah. And it's just interesting, too. I mean, just the way he shoots is so fascinating and keeps you going too. Cause when you have that many, I mean, how many boxing scenes are in there? A dozen more Yeah, around that? Like a lot. Every single one of them is shot differently, mm-hmm. you know? And Scorsese refused to use multiple cameras the way you would typically shoot sports. You know, every single, Why? Sh- he just didn't want, he wanted everything to be very specific and have a point of view and have a reason for it. He didn't want to just have, let's just set up five cameras and, 
and and do the match, and then we'll we'll figure it out in editing. He's like, no, it's like every scene has a specific point of view. That's very cool. I'm just going to shoot the parts that tell the story I need to tell, mm-hmm. and not just go. Well, let's shoot everything and see how it looks later, you know. And and so every scene is shot very very differently, um, and how he approaches it. I kind of pointed out where, where we were watching. There's the one Sugar Ray fight, the second one, where everything is shot through heat waves. Or propane lines or something like that. Yeah. And everything's got this kind of weird... How dangerous is that? I don't know if it was actual... I think it was actually fire. I think it was actually just heat waves. The way if you're ever barbecuing and you look above the the flames, you can see this little uh, wave of just air. So it's not propane. Yeah, it's not just... I think it was actually... He probably had flame bars. Yeah. And then so it just had them low on the ground and and just framed them out so that you're just getting... Those waves in front. It was such a great shot. Yeah, and there's a sequence of fight. But just, but just the concept of going. Oh, every single there's a lot of fights. Every single one of them should look differently. Mm -hmm. And and I've always taken that with me, um, especially when you're when you're working in in shows or movies or stuff where it's like you're reusing Mm -hmm. one location more and more. Yeah. It's for me. It's always like okay. Well, we have to make sure we set up rules where when I did the go getters. You know, sixty percent of the movie takes place in that bar. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and so I made it. I, I, when we were looking for the bar, I was very conscious of going. We got to make sure it's a place that's big enough and has enough areas so that I never have to shoot two scenes in the same spot. Yeah. Or if I do, I can shoot them differently and from a different angle and a different point of view because the fastest way to make something feel repetition and boring. Is you just feel like oh I've seen this before yeah and you do you do that and you can be in the same location I think over and over again as long as you find different ways to approach it and that's similar to boxing I mean what's kind of amazing with these boxing scenes too is that you don't you really just kind of in the ring you know presumably these fights are taking place all over North America over the course of this decade mm-hmm. but they were probably all shot in the same boxing ring because everything falls off into black. Yeah. And you're not really seeing the stadium or the people. Yeah. So I think they were probably... There's just, no, like, drone shot of Seattle and then, you know, like... Or just seeing thousands of people in the audience. Yeah. You know, it really yeah. just focused on, uh, you know, the action at hand and didn't really care about that stuff. And so they were probably able to just stay in that one boxing set. Well, they probably built it, actually. It's probably on a soundstage. Yeah. Now that I think about it. And then just shoot there for weeks upon weeks and get all the boxing stuff done in, the, in one period. Can you imagine? Can't. I loved that shot. I don't know why I loved that shot where it's all, it just, the whole screen is black and then the mic drops into the boxing ring. For whatever reason, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I loved that shot. It was it, so cool. I think it's a bit of a trick is it's like the round, something ends and then all of a sudden you think it's just because your brain is is probably going oh it's a cut to black, which movies do sometimes. Then we're gonna yep. fade up on something, but instead of fading up, the object comes into the shot. You and know? you could feel the black moving, but it wasn't didn't look like it was moving. Like yeah. it was such a cool shot. I loved that shot. Yeah, it's great. Nerding out. Nerding out. There, there's a lot. It's, it's fun. There, there's a lot to nerd out about this movie, and we're just kind of scratching the surface. So I'm sure we could look up trivia and just be here for hours just going through all the nerdy little things yeah uh it's one of those and it it really did it's like he you know scorsese thought just like a boxer he thought he was down and out and this was his last shot at the title it seems like such an incredible 
incredibly personal movie to him. Like, yeah. it seems like... Once he committed to it, yeah. All of these characters are, like, through his eyes. And he hates sports. He didn't want to do a sports movie. But it's like, he think he found his way into it when he... Because De Niro kept on pushing him and pushing him. And so I think he, like, visited these boxing rings and mm. walked around. And saw so just started getting images in his head, like the sponges and the ropes with blood on them. And it doesn't we, feel like a sports movie. Yeah. No, it doesn't either. Comparatively to like other movies, it like really doesn't. No, and then, and part of it is like, like we were here with the Rocky thing. Like Rocky's a sports movie, you know. As much as the, I mean, the first one is very much an indie film about character too, and then all the rest of the films in the series are suddenly studio films, and they're very much sport films. Yeah. Um, but this one's so just steeped in character. Yeah. And just trying to get a sense of even like there's that heartbreaking moment when he's in jail and beating, pounding the fuck out of his fists. And he's just, when he's crying, he's saying to himself, I'm not an animal. I'm not an animal. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. It's so interesting, I, that scene, that there's no blood on his hands, and there's no blood on his head. I kept expecting a shot, because they had that strip of light of him just, like, to come up and just be... Because he was even like, my hands, my hands, but... There wasn't a drop of blood, and I thought that was such an interesting. I think it was. I don't. I don't want to. I don't know for sure if that scene was improvised, but I think it was just. It had to. Do I what think, you're gonna yeah. do. We could look it up. Um, there's that great scene in the middle uh, when when Jake throws the fight, and then you go back to the backstage, and they're all crying. They're, they're all like, babies. <laughs> they're just like these men that are like. <laughs> I love when the coach starts crying. The trainer, <laughs> the guy that wouldn't give him water when he was trying to lose his last four yeah, pounds. Yeah. He like closed. He kicks the reporter out, and he closes the door, and he just starts choking up. What a great, what a great actor that guy was. Totally great for such a small little part. Yep, he's got that great look. Uh, and you were commenting too on the background performers when we were watching. Nobody looked like a background actor. You can tell in every single movie. Oh, that background is CGI'd, or that's an actor who wants to be famous one day, but he's BJ for now, or like whatever. Yeah. Nobody looked out of place in this movie. I think part of that is just New York casting is like special in a way that other major cities aren't in that time. Yeah. Like I know, um, oh, it, it, the name is escaping me. The the casting director that worked with Woody Allen for years, she just kept a drawer full of just headshots of just interesting faces. That's cool. That's you know? great. People that look like real people. Yeah. Or just like, something unique, something about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, um, oh, I'm going to get her... I, I'm going to forget her last name. Uh, I got to meet her when I was part of the CFC exchange program, uh, the comedy lab. Um, the casting director who like casts girls. Oh um, yeah. And just, and just, and she's done a ton of other stuff yeah. as well, but she like, she discovered Adam driver, you know, and such and an interesting look. That's just it, right? He's yeah. not a typical <laughs> thing. And so she, and she, she's a similar kind of person who's just like, she remembers, you know, just interesting energies and you know, non-typical people, and uh, what a fascinating, what a, what, a, what a great skill to have because it's so easy. Mm-hmm. I think in that job to just go, oh, are they fuckable? Yeah, or I think also the majority are just like actors that I did background work when I first first started. It's the worst. And everybody wants the camera to see them. You're just like, I know if I do this background job, I'm going to talk to somebody on set. 
and then I'm going to get a job on something like real. And, you know, it's like, and then you can see that in the scene where you can see the guy in the corner who's just like so desperate yeah. <laughs> for the camera. I have a, a complicated relationship with background as a director because it's, 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 it's the, the weirdest situation for those that don't know. Uh, you're not the director is not allowed to direct the background actors. There's rule. There's union rules. Which doesn't make any fun. Dire- I'm only allowed to as a director. You're only allowed to talk to you know your actors who have lines. Mostly have lines, or unless they're a featured background, in which case they're doing something integral to the scene and they get paid more. Um, Can you talk to those people? Yeah, but as long as they're in a certain pay scale, because oh as soon as I give back direction to a background, a specific direction to a background person, they will, most of them will suddenly get on the phone to their agent and, and, or to ACTRA, the union, and demand an upgrade saying, hey, the director gave me, and they get bumped up to an actor. It wasn't always like that. Though, no, I don't right? think it was. I think people probably took advantage of it. But it's but it's the kind of thing where if you're my assistant director, I can walk up to you and say, hey, can you tell this person over here to do this thing? And they're listening to me right now. Yeah, the person I, who's I'm standing right beside you. The assistant director can go over and give specific directions to every background person. The assistant director can do that. The director can't. I've been on so many sets where that exact thing has happened, where it's like the director is standing near the extras with their assistant director and saying really loudly, okay, can you tell the background performers to... That's the the way you get around it, by telling the AD to do it Mm -hmm. within earshot so they Mm -hmm. can actually get your unfiltered direction, but you're technically not doing it to them. But it's like a bad game of telephone sometimes. It's so gross. Especially when you have a huge group of extras. And then you you've also get this scenario where a lot of extras are just angling for that upgrade. Yeah. They're so desperate for it. And so, like, I got in trouble once because uh, I, I was just being an, a decent human being. And in between, you know, scenes, I'm at the craft table grabbing, like, a little snack. And one of the background is there. And we just have a bit of a conversation. And they're like, oh, what do you think of this scene? Like, what's the, like, what's your idea for this scene? And I'm like, oh, well, we're doing this and we're doing that. And you guys are doing this and blah, blah, blah. And we just talked about the scene. And then, like, the next day, my producer grabs me and says, hey, one of the background demanded an upgrade because you talked to them. No. The I was like, what do you mean? They're like, well, you explained what the scene was about. No. And, yeah. And I got in trouble. So now it makes me feel like when I'm on set, I can't talk to the background. I, I kind of ignore them. I, I, I don't make eye contact. And it makes me feel like a monster and a gross human being. But. That's shitty. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing that costs the production like a couple hundred bucks. And also people talk to background extras like they're pieces of shit generally. But I think, it, but it, it's, it's, I think it's a symptom of, the, of those few background performers who do shit like that. And so it just creates. Uh, it's the union. A it's dev- not them. No. It's the union. Yeah. You're going to make a rule like that. People are going to be like, okay, well. Yeah. But it creates this divide. kind of divide yeah. that is gross. Because I, I just want to fucking, I, I don't mind. I'll talk to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Me too. Yeah. And especially if we're just like There's no time. hierarchy. We're all there doing the same job. Yeah. So, but that's, I think, anyway. Ugh. I hate it. Hate it. Yeah. Love, love when you have background and they're working well. It looks great. But I hate it's just I feel uncomfortable any day where I'm coming to set and I know we've got background mm-hmm, because of course. I because I feel like I have to be impersonal. They're like strangers in your home too. It's like especially when you're on a TV show where yeah. it's like you're because I it. want ev- I want everyone to feel involved and and yeah. happy to be there and it's just anyway anyway it's what it is. Uh, <laughs> what else? Any final thoughts on raging? Back to raging bull. 
back to Raging Bull. Um, any final thoughts? So, no. what is this? You know, as someone who's starting to to direct themselves, what what do you take away from this? Just that 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 like the possibilities are endless. Like, if you want to shoot a boxing scene outside the ring, like most people do, you could, or you could go inside the ring and shoot it. Like, you could shoot it any way you personally. There are no real rules to it. There's just a lot of ways that people have done it for a long time their way. But like your your unique perspective on it is going to come through every shot if you just trust it. Mm-hmm. It's just like this is such a beautiful example of that. Yeah. And I feel oddly so happy for him that he went through such a fucking hard time with drugs and all that shit and then came out and made something so beautiful. Yeah. There's some part of him that you know, went to such a dark place to be able to see the darkness in this character. And also, there's also some lightness in him that, like, believed in himself enough to make this movie. Yeah. Which is pretty powerful and amazing. Yeah, I love it. I, I, it's funny, I haven't rewatched it in forever, and it made me go, what a great movie. It's kind of, for what it is, it's kind of perfect, despite its imperfections. Like, yeah. I look at it, I'm like, I wouldn't... You know, I watched we I rewatched um, Mean Streets. We did it for a, an episode, a couple episodes back, and it's and I and I commented on that podcast <clears throat> cast about how it's not. It's about a, you know twenty minutes, thirty minutes too long. You can just feel some mm-hmm. scenes have expired past their length. Yeah, because uh, he hadn't quite disciplined himself and just known where things. were. this film feels like, I don't know what I would lose. Like it's like, is it long? Sure, but it's like. This movie at two hours and whatever it is, two hours twenty, doesn't feel as long as rewatching Mean Streets did, mm-hmm. and that movie is way shorter. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just, it just goes to show it's like if I'm captivated by every moment, it doesn't matter the length as long as I'm drawn in. Yeah, like that scene where he's following Pesci to his car, and they're older men. Yeah, and he's just like hugging him and kissing him the same way he kind of went after his wife and like hugged her and kissed her like a little boy trying to get their mom's attention and. Or to say sorry or whatever, you know. I also love that the imperfections of that shot of not seeing Pesci's face. Like his jacket was up. Covered over. up. You couldn't see him at all. Again, I think I, I, I look could, at that as just, of course, as you're going, performance is yeah, trumping everything. You could feel everything in that scene. You could feel Pesci. You could feel both of them so equally, even though you couldn't see. Okay, guys, can you pull the... This drives me fucking crazy as an actor where they They'll cut and can you just like pull your scarf down because we can't see like or could you push your hair back out of your oh can I you just it, do the fucking can I just do my job so it kills me I get that all the time just when I'm at the monitor and all of a sudden I'll be like oh it's great we should move on and then all of a sudden you know no, hair or makeup or hair. costume will come over I was like oh her hair was like over a thing I was like oh I don't care yeah it's like oh but oh you're gonna care when you get in the editing room I'm nope. like, no because that performance was amazing yeah and it's like yeah we can get her to do it again. For her hair, yeah. Unless it's, I, I, I just and and but then you get a look from them. It's like, how did you not notice? <laughs> and I want to be like the most pretentious asshole and be like, because I was staring at their soul <laughs> while you were looking at their fucking hair. That's Sweet why I was looking at their eyes inside what they were feeling while you were focused on the fucking little hair on their lip. Yeah, I didn't care. Drives me bonkers. Don't care. <laughs> Hate it. I loved that scene with those brothers. Yeah. It was beautiful. Gorgeous. Well, thanks for coming over. 
Thanks for having me. This took a really long time to set up, and I'm glad that you stuck in. We'll do it again sometime. I would love we'll to. We'll take another one. I would love to. Thank you. Let's all go to the Thanks for joining us for Raging Bull. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.